0: Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly Writers Club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the Classes tab. I'm Allison Langer. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And this is Writing Class Radio. During the month of
1: August 2021, we are running an episode every Wednesday. We've selected four listener favorites we don't want you to miss.
0: Today, we are revisiting episode 79, because sometimes these get lost in our feeds, these old awesome episodes, and this one is one of my all-time favorites. We hope you enjoy the show. The most amazing thing my friends did for me is gather around. I mean, you sent your housekeeper over to cook my meals for me, which was, I mean, I'm going to just start crying. It was like the greatest gift ever. And my other friends, like, came to my appointments with me, sat through chemo with me. They showed up. Uh, People I didn't even think liked me were were sending food for my kids and picking them up and taking them places. I mean, like, I could not have done this without my team, my elephants, and my friends. So I just want to take one second to tell our listeners and you about this really cool um, organization I found, 305 Pink Pack. And what they do is they provide services to people going through cancer, chemo. They are a group that um, helps people with cancer with daily chores, food, pampering, mental health, transportation. They swoop in to make your life easier, and they do it for free. They get donations from people like our listeners and my elephants and every elephant out there who is done pampering their elephant and their friend that doesn't end there. So I think it's really important that we all help other people who need help during this time. Check out 305 Pink Pack. They will so appreciate your donations. Don't forget to get on and get your herd some elephant hats. Your donations go directly to the Pink Wig Project. I mean, we are pinking out in every way possible. So <laughs> pinking out. Pink out with us. <laughs> and you can
1: find the elephant camo hat donation link at writingclassradio.com. I'm Andrea Askowitz, and this is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories.
0: And I'm Allison Langer. Together, we produce this podcast, which is Equal Parts Heart and Art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. And by art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our sheet. sheet. There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. Today on our show, we take a look at bringing an obsession into a storyline. It's possible to go deep, deep, deep into an obsession that has almost nothing to do with what the story is really about. This will all make more sense when you hear the story and hear the discussion afterwards. So just stay tuned.
1: The story you'll hear next is from listener Jackie Ashton. She submitted her essay to the show. The story was previously published in the March 2019 issue of Real Simple Magazine. Jackie's story after the break. Hey, writers. For the last 45 years, I've been going to tennis clinics to practice forehands, backhand serves. What does this have to do with writing? Well, practice, I've learned in the last 45 years, is what it takes to get good at anything. And that's why Writing Class Radio hosts a tips clinic, a writing tips clinic. We do this every second Saturday so that we can all practice going to scene, writing like we speak, omitting needless words, everything that it takes to become great or at least better at writing. So join us every second Saturday from 12 noon to one Easter time on Zoom. To join, go to writingclassradio.com and click the link for the Tips Clinic. It's $10 and believe me, it's a lot cheaper than a tennis clinic. See you there.
0: Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Cundell and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. We're back. This is Allison Langer and you're listening to Writing Class Radio. Up next is Jackie Ashton with her story,
2: Strength in Numbers. It's basketball season. Here in the Bay Area, home of the Golden State Warriors, winner of three of the last four NBA finals, it is impossible to escape Warriors fever. Believe me, I've tried. Most Warriors fans find the team to be a source of pure happiness, but my feelings are conflicted one part joy, another part anguish. When I see the blue and yellow Golden State Warriors flag waving in the wind outside a restaurant, I become dizzy with sadness. If I turn on the TV, I know I'll see the ad where Clay Thompson swishes three-pointers while touting the benefits of a post-workout glass of chocolate milk. A few seconds later, I'll have to dart into the pantry to weep. But I wasn't always flinging myself into closets to sob during Warriors games. Some people fall in love with their passion slowly. Others, like me, watch the Warriors' 2015 NBA Finals victory with their 7-year-old and become hooked on their home team all at once and forever. As I sat there with my son that night, I was mesmerized. Who was this dream team? At the start of the 2016 season, I went all in. I bought flags for my car. Temporary tattoos to wear during games. Over the course of the season, my obsession deepened. I watched replays on Instagram, stayed up past midnight listening to post-game interviews. The Warriors became my religion. Dub Nation, my church. Me, the woman who, as a child, recoiled at the sound of games on television. When did you become such a huge sports fan? My closest friend Emily asked me from Atlanta of her text. She had a point. She was the athlete, not me. At eight years old, she had been a top-ranking tennis player in Georgia, where we met in kindergarten. She had earned a full athletic scholarship to the University of Virginia, where we were roommates all four years. For 35 years, our friendship had been like the morning sun, steady and consistent. I told Emily the Warriors symbolized everything a person should do in life, show up, Work hard and take care of your team. I described head coach Steve Kerr's team slogan, Strength in Numbers, a rallying cry. We're in this together. Each number had a story. Five, the players on the court, obviously. Ten, the guys on the bench Kerr sees as equally important, team cohesion and depth define the Warriors. 20,000 the approximate number of roaring, euphoric fans in Oracle Arena each game night. But then, suddenly one April morning in that 2016 golden spring of Warrior's Fever, the numbers turned on me. Four, the stage of Emily's breast cancer. Thirty-nine, our age at the time. One, the number of years the doctor said she had left to live. Of all her exquisite qualities, perhaps my favorite was Emily's uncanny ability to see a bright light where others saw only darkness. I've gotten everything I could have wanted in this life, she said to me after sharing her news. Anything I get from now on will be extra. Some people pray to a Christian God. Others call out to Vishnu. But I fell on my knees after I hung up the phone and begged the basketball gods to somehow, inexplicably, help her. Could the same divine grace that allowed human beings to consistently drain three-pointers from new depths also, in some way, save my friend? From that point forward, what was initially a passion I shared with my kids became the way my best friend and I focused on joy and life rather than the very real possibility of death. I flew to Atlanta two weeks later on the day of her gamma knife radiation to attack the cancer in her brain. Should I bring the kids, I asked. Yes, she said. I want your kids to know mine. At the San Francisco airport, I picked up blue Warriors hats and yellow bracelets for our five children, then ages 7 through 12. Emily embraced the Warriors ferociously, just as she did my husband, my children, and everything else I loved. Her affinity for the dubs was remarkable, given that she lived in Atlanta Hawks territory. But it was clear they personified her fierce optimism. After I left Atlanta, it became the language of hope we spoke from coast to coast. Which ones are cool but aren't too expensive, we asked, comparing notes about which Steph Curry high tops to buy our sons. We shared screenshots of Steph holding a sign saying, be the best version of yourself every single day. Our younger selves would have never guessed that our 35 years of friendship would culminate in an intense shared love of a professional basketball team. Yes, there was chemo. There was more radiation, a battery of appointments, cold caps to save her hair. But when 7.30 p.m. rolled around, there was also the Warriors. It's hard to say whether we spent more time watching the games or staring into the backlight of our smartphones, sending texts to shrink the 2,500-mile distance between us. We shared GIFs, memes, and other digital amusements that were as new to us as our love of basketball. When Steph nailed his signature warm-up shot, launching the ball from the tunnel that leads to the locker room, essentially an impossible trick shot that only he could make with astonishing accuracy. It felt like everything was right in the universe. We adored each player more than the next. Of course, we both had a soft spot for Steph Curry, the dreamy superstar point guard, but we loved him for different reasons. Emily, a faithful Christian, liked the way he tapped his chest after a successful shot, how he lifted his index finger to say thank you to the heavens. He's just such a good person, she said. She bought her son his I Can Do All Things poster, a reference to Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I just found him straight up sexy. Those eyes, that smile. But when it came to Draymond Green, we were united in the way we adored him. We went bonkers over how he cared for his mother. Did you know he bought her a house, Emily asked. We loved his childhood nickname. Day-day, Emily would text me during the games, whenever Draymond blocked a shot, stuck out his tongue, and flexed his biceps in his now infamous, look at these muscles move. Going to a game at Oracle Arena with my kids and her basketball-loving younger son was an easy decision. We selected the Oklahoma City Thunder game on a Thursday night in November. Our tickets cost more than my first semester of college. You only live once, Emily said, laughing. By the time game night arrived, Emily's condition had worsened. More from the treatment than the disease itself, it seemed, but she still managed to fly to San Francisco. We drove to Oakland and stepped into Oracle Arena as the lights dimmed. The players huddled and danced like there was no tomorrow. I remember Steph lobbing a three-pointer. A second later, it went in so perfectly that the net barely moved. Emily looked me in the eye, and as only the closest of friends can do, we knew what the other was thinking. For that one moment, the reality that our time together might be running out melted away. There was only joy. It was pure, cosmic, pristine. Fourteen months later, on a cold January afternoon in Atlanta, Emily died. I was sitting on the front steps of her house when her husband came out to tell me. Two days earlier, I had held her hand and kissed her on the cheek a final time. I don't want you to leave, she said, before I left, as usual, taking the words right out of my mouth. We buried her on a Thursday. Friends made a slideshow for the crowd of 800 that came to her service. I included the photo of us with the kids at the Warriors game. In that image, my smile is genuine. I didn't think she would die. The day after her funeral, I took my laminated United States dollar bill, the one with Steph Curry on it, as if he were president, out of my wallet. I tucked it away in a drawer in my closet. What a fool I was to think we were immune from the cold, hard facts of mortality. But for that one brilliant basketball season... I believed in the impossible. Tonight, I'm taking my son back to Oracle Arena to see the Warriors play the Los Angeles Lakers. Before we leave the house, I scroll through my old texts with Emily for the thousandth time. I remember how excited she was to watch the Warriors play just weeks before she died. One text reads, About to watch the dubs, are you? Followed by rows of yellow and blue heart emojis. But now I feel betrayed by my team, like somehow it was their fault. I was duped. How could I have been so naive? Then I look at her words again, and it dawns on me. It was never about whether the half-court buzzer beater would fall in, but instead, what two old friends, unlikely basketball fanatics on opposite coasts, could share together when they believed it was possible. I put down my phone to tell my son it's time to leave for Oakland. I wish Emily and I could still communicate during the game like we used to. In a way, we just did.
1: Going back to the place where it all began, staring right at the walls and the ceiling. Cousin might look the same, but it's empty
0: feeling. I just want to dedicate this first of all to Emily and to Jackie because I think the story is really really important. I feel like I read this story a long time ago. <laughs> Do you feel that way? Yeah. That it was a long time ago since we we read this. Well, it hit me a lot harder than it did <laughs> back then. Um you mentioned before we started that you thought maybe it wasn't a great idea to, to to put this out into the world now, considering, you know, the cancer that I'm dealing with and um, my recent news that there's still a mass and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I do think it's really important for people to hear this story for a couple reasons. and um, And then I want to talk about the writing. Their basketball bond showed them living life instead of waiting for death. And to me, that's everything. When you're sick, there is nothing greater than joy. And this gave them joy. Like if everybody could just look at this and say, find something to do with your friend who's sick, go take a vacation with them, go hang out with them, just show up and be with them and don't talk about the illness all the time. Like really just enjoy life. That's why we're putting this out. It's going to cause tears. I'm sitting here crying. But it's important. It's an important lesson for all of us. Well, let's talk about the writing because that is what's important, too, in this piece. Here's this obsession. Okay, I want to talk about that for a second um, because I think that's what what's really cool about this particular essay is she brings this obsession in so big. I mean, we get that she knows the players, the stats. She buys the merchandise. She gets it for her kids. She gets her friend involved. I mean, like, this person is into it.
1: We understand this obsession that the narrator has because she tells us so many details. She does that like what? So well. She's like, in 2016, she was all in. Well, what does all in mean? She tells us. She got the flags for her car. She got temporary tattoos for her body. She listened to interviews in the middle of the night. I mean, She's obsessed.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, but I love the way the segue, because don't you often think, like, shit, how do I get to the story here? Because that's part of it, but that's not the whole part. How do I segue? And she did it expertly. When did you become such a huge sports fan? Emily said. That was perfect because now who's Emily and why do we care about Emily? These essays are about the narrator. It has to be most, we care most about the narrator. Right. So if you're going to just tell me about your friend and how she's sick, I'm going to be like, and who is she in your life? But this narrator shows us her, her obsession, how she got her friend involved and how this friend um, is, you know, impacts her life. And I think that's what the beautiful thing about the story is.
1: She also set the story up really well by telling us right at the beginning that that basketball for her, the Golden State Warriors is a mix. It's pure joy and anguish we know something bad happened from the very beginning oh yeah like it's not a mystery we know we don't know exactly what bad thing happened but we know it was something tragic because she runs into the closet to cry when she you know sees a commercial about her her basketball team
0: she gets to it really quickly she tells us you know the number thing Right. But then first
1: she tells us exactly who Emily is, her friend from kindergarten. Yeah. Who was the athlete and her roommate at University of Virginia, like everything we get who they are to each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And not very far in, she tells us, for the stage of Emily's breast cancer, 39, our age at the time, one, the number of years the doctor said she had to live. The way she did that was so good. And then we get to know Emily. We know that she's
1: religious, that she has faith that she's such a nice person. And then we also get a very big sense of the narrator because she is this obsessed with this basketball team person. And she we so get that she loves 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 her friend.
0: All right, so I I just I also want to talk a little bit more about obsessions and how they can make a story so much better because she could have just told the story in chronological order of just, you know, her friend and then and getting cancer and the whole thing. Because, I mean, my God, this is just such a much better way to tell a cancer story, right? It is. It's a brilliant, it's brilliant.
1: Because then she also used um, the language of basketball, like the language of um, the team, the motto of the Warriors coach. Strength in numbers. That's their strength. Each other. It's yeah. beautiful.
0: You're you're really good though at talking about obsessions. So give our listeners like a how to find them, how to get to them, how to create a story from obsessions. I think that would be helpful. Well, one thing I think is
1: is a smart move. If you're ever stuck with what to write about, write a list of the things that you love or the things that you can't stand. Or the things that you kind of can't stop thinking about. Each one of those things on your list, there's probably a story or two in that. I feel like my obsessions have kind of changed, but right now I'm a bit obsessed with like, and so are you. We're both obsessed with slowing down or like the speed or the hecticness of our lives.
0: Yeah, obsessed. I'm also obsessed with like, health and nutrition, does it, does it really matter? You know, um, can it, I mean, my skin looks much better, don't you think? Excellent. (laughs) Um, So I'm also obsessed about um, joy and trauma and how we process that. Like, and now I'm getting into that to see if that has long-term effects. So I have stories for sure, but we talk about this a lot too. I can't just write the same story everybody's writing. There has to be a twist. And I think Jackie pulled that off like a pro, like for sure, this is cancer with a twist. <laughs> like a basketball pro. Yay! Yes. A pro basketball player. Yeah. And it's, it's true and it has, it's unfortunate, but we don't want one more cancer story. We want a, a, something that we can all relate to and something that means something and something that's different than we've, something we've read a million times.
1: Yes. It's yeah. We have heard this a lot that, that editors are pretty sick of cancer stories. They're sick of dead dog stories. They're There are a few stories they're sick of, but right, if you can twist it, if you can bring it with a twist, then you have a story. And and Jackie did that.
0: Thank you so much, Jackie, for sharing this story with us and with our listeners. It's extremely important. Um, I want to say that it was previously published and real simple. Um, It was the March 2019 issue. So real simple. Thank you for allowing us to also air this story. Jackie Ashton is a writer um, out of California, and she is looking for a book deal. So if anyone out there is listening and thinks they want to help her make that possible, please contact Jackie Ashton. She can be reached on Twitter at Jackie, J-A-C-K-I-E-M, as in Mary, A-S-H-T-O-N. Thank you for listening. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Andrea Asquiths and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Christine Corey. Additional music by Emia, Blue Jay, and Poddington Bear. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. Contact us at info at writingclassradio.com. If you love this show... And enjoy all the extras on our website, hit the support us button and check out the writing classes and publishing insights we're giving our Patreon supporters. Every Tuesday from 12 to 1, you can jump onto a writing class with Allison and sometimes Andrea if you join at the $25 level and you can learn all about the trials and tribulations of publishing if you jump on at the $10 level and Andrea is just posting away at all her successes. And some of our failures. <laughs> <laughs> There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Anytime. Anytime. Hey everyone, this is Allison, and I just wanted to give you guys a little quick update on my health. Cancer is gone. Gone. The big zero. Out. Done. Clean. All the great words. Cancer free. Um, it's August and 2021 Whew. And it's exactly two years since my diagnosis So the hell has ended I'm super healthy Scans are clear Had a little scare But we're clear And we're going to just go with that So just wanted everyone to know that So that you're not worried about me Because I'm crying in this episode And I'm talking lumps and bumps and all sorts of shit So I'm good We're all good